The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is again about forgiveness, which is such a powerful tool in conflict resolution, and we are having a guest back again who I just thought was so wonderful. And as you remember, Lloyd, you and I actually got to see and meet him in person when he came to the In Spirit Center for Spiritual Living in Mission Viejo. He came up to give a wonderful workshop. So after I had read his books, and at least his first two books, I was so thrilled to buy his third book and get to meet him. And I wanted him to come back again because I think what he has to say is so very powerful. And today, again, we're talking with Azim Kamisa, who has committed his life to halting the continuing cycle of violence among youth. Azim became a social and peace activist after his 20-year-old son, Tariq, was senselessly murdered while delivering pizzas in January of 1995. He was killed by a 14-year-old gang member named Tony Hicks. Out of that unspeakable grief and despair and pain, Azim was inspired to transform his loss through the miraculous power of forgiveness. Believing that there were victims at both ends of the gun, Azim forgave Tony and founded the Tariq Kamisa Foundation to break the cycle of youth violence by saving lives and teaching peace and planting seeds of hope and peace for the future. He's an award-winning author of the book Azim's Bardo, From Murder to Forgiveness, which I've read, and that's a father's journey. He followed up his book with From Forgiveness to Fulfillment, showing the continued evolution in his unfolding story, that is, his path, his passion, and his life. And then the third in the trilogy is From Fulfillment to Peace. That's his newest book. As Azim says, we humans continuously confront defining moments in our lives. Sometimes these events are joyous, sometimes they're tragedies. At these moments, it's important to make the right choices. And when we do, we're able to manifest miracles and produce transformation in ourselves and in others. Now, you can learn more about Azim's great work at Azim, that's A-Z-I-M, K-H-A-M-I-S-A dot com. And also you can find out more about the Tariq Kamisa Foundation going to www dot 
T like Tom, K like Kiss, F like Foundation dot org. And I want to thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's so wonderful to have you, Azim. Thank you, Mari. It's nice to be back on your show, and thank you for inviting me again. So, you know, how you have been through so much, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, we you talk about there's victims at both ends of the gun, and, of course, you and and Tony's grandfather also were victims. How do you transform from that victimhood into all the great work that you're doing? How does one become go from victim to victor? I think that the forgiveness is the portal to do that. I think we don't recognize the real meaning of forgiveness because I think there's this connotation that people think by me forgiving Tony, uh, I'm, some, I'm somehow saying that what he did was okay, that I'm condoning his behavior. It's not about that, because Tony has his own journey, and I have my own journey. Now, he's serving a far long sentence than I would like, and I, as you know, I'm trying to get him out earlier so he can join his grandfather and me in the foundation. And as a result of my forgiving him, he's totally changed as well and manifested that transformation. He aced his GED when he was 22 years old. He's now 30, and he's almost two-thirds of his way done with his first degree in child psychology. And I'm trying to get him out early so he can be on stage. I know we've saved him, but he will save many children when he's on stage with grandfather and me and sharing his testimony. And I think that that's a very much a power of forgiveness. But even if he was not caught, and even if he was not serving a sentence, he still would have a journey. He still has to go through his life with the, with the knowledge that he killed an innocent and unarmed human being. That's tough on your conscience. Yes. And so I, uh, so yeah. I tell people that, you know, somehow Tony still, you know, wakes up in the middle of the night with sweaty palms because he, he has to relive that. So there is no escaping wrongdoing. Tony has his own journey, and if, if he wasn't charged, karma always makes sure that what goes around comes around. So you have to distinguish that I had a different journey than Tony. And my journey, I have a choice now. If I don't, if I, if I don't, if I stay in resentment, who am I hurting? I'm hurting me. Yes. Mandela did not write, uh, uh, write this quote, but he made it famous. He said, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. Yes. So if you stay in anger, if you stay in resentment, eventually that becomes disease. And, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and forgiveness is one way that you can stop being in resentment. You do it for you. Yes. But the more important part is I had a very full life and my son was alive. I worked as an international investment banker. I traveled the world. I speak a half a dozen languages. And, you know, routinely came in from London and then went to change suitcases and flew to Tokyo. And then after Tariq died, I couldn't even get out of bed. It literally took all of my willpower just to climb out of bed. And I recognize that how I respond to this tragedy will determine the rest of my life. And quite frankly, I wanted that quality of life back. And I recognize that if I didn't forgive, I would remain a victim. And there is no quality to go through life as a victim. I didn't want to go through life on crutches saying I lost my one and only son. Yes, that story, again, would not serve the memory of Tariq either. Exactly. It would, not be, it would not serve his memory. It would be no good for me or my family or the community. 
So I recognize that through forgiveness, I stop being a victim. I have a very full life today. In fact, I like, I love this life better because I feel investment banking was all about making money. This is about saving lives of children and helping millions that I've touched into how to forgive. This is, I feel like I'm on purpose. I feel like my mission is, uh, is in, this, in my lifetime this time around is to do this work. I feel very supported by universe. Yes. And, uh, and, and, I'm, and, and, and I have that full life. In fact, as I said, because of the choice I made 17 years ago to forgive instead of seeking revenge, that choice has made me a better person. Not that I was a bad person, but I think we can all be better. And today I have this uh, very high quality of peace within me, and living my life's mission is so rewarding that I would not be doing this had I not lost my son. So out of that tragedy, this gift came in, but I had to make the choice to forgive instead of seeking revenge. And people don't quite realize this, because and I've done this work now for 17 years. I meet many of us who are in resentment for what has been done to us, or we are in guilt for what we have done. And through the process of forgiving people that have harmed us, we get rid of resentment. Through forgiving ourselves, we get rid of the guilt. I have no resentment in me, and I have no guilt in me, and that is why I can be out there playing 100%. Yes. And, you know, I was just telling you before we started that I just was in a class last night that we were trying to talk about releasing guilt. Because everybody, you know, carries it and needs to know how to let it go because it doesn't serve you. It doesn't, it doesn't remedy anything. You have to learn to forgive yourself. But then we were talking about the difference between guilt and remorse. And, and I know we're talking semantics, but, you know, I, I wondered how you felt about it. For me, I was thinking about that quite a bit last night and knowing that I was going to interview you. And I thought, you know, when I'm in mediation and I'm in with people who are in conflict, if people are guilty, they turn, they blame. But when people are in remorse, it seems to me that they take accountability and that they're willing to say they're sorry, they're willing to make a change. And I just wondered how you view it, or I, I know you deal with people in guilt because you're teaching people to forgive yourself as well. Absolutely. So kind of and, 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 and yes, and I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head there a couple of times, Mari. But let me, let me say this, that guilt is a very debilitating state. Yes. Um, so uh, uh, guilt is corrosive. Guilt is uh, something that will stop you from being out there playing 100%. Remorse is the beginning of the journey, because once you get from guilt to remorse, you are now looking at different thoughts and feelings than when you actually offended. Mm -hmm. So the, the compassionate way to, to address this is to say that remorse is now the beginning where you are taking responsibility for your action. As you pointed out, you are being accountable. So I think that there are four steps here that you can deal with guilt. The first one is that. It starts, it starts with remorse, but it actually starts with taking responsibility for your offense taking responsibility for whatever it is that you did, it's not okay to, to, to blame somebody else like you pointed out. You have to say, you know, I'm responsible for taking this action. Number two, you ask forgiveness of the people you've hurt. 
doesn't matter whether that forgiveness is granted or not, but it is up to, it's up to you to ask for that forgiveness. So you first of all say, I, I take responsibility for my action, and I ask forgiveness of the people I've hurt. Now, you can do this with mediation, like you're a trained mediator, or you can do it directly. Yes. Number three, now that you've done the right thing, you've taken responsibility, you've asked forgiveness of your victims, you can forgive yourselves. But it's not enough. There's a fourth step, which you did not talk about, and I think this step is very important. I call it the atonement or the redemption state. That means that I take responsibility for my action, I've asked forgiveness people I've hurt, I've forgiven myself, but number four is I'm going to redeem myself. That means I'm never, ever going to go to this behavior again. Yes. And I'm going to help somebody else yes. not do the same thing as I did. And we have four full-time offenders that are ex-offenders in the foundation that are so passionate. One of them served 17 years in prison, killed somebody. So passionate, telling kids, you don't want to follow my footsteps. So you give back to society. On the programs that I do, I work with offenders. Every one of the offenders takes responsibility, asks forgiveness. We tell them, you're young, forgive yourself. Now you go out there, no more of this gang banging, no more of drugs, alcohol, and violence. And you stop another kid from not making the same mistakes. And the more they do that, the easier it becomes to forgive yourself. And they're really changing their story, aren't they? They're changing their thinking and their story. The old story was, I'm a murderer, I did this, I was bad, I was a bad guy. And they, you know, the ne- but when you're telling them, I did this, I don't want you to do what I did, follow in my footsteps. Now you've empowered them because the story is now changed. And now they're a change agent, Right. Absolutely. This is the principles of restorative justice. Yes. That uh, the goal in every crime is to better society. And the way you do that is exactly what you said. You heal the victim to the extent you can. You can't bring my son back, but working with the grandfather and, and also working with Tony. Although he's in prison, we have him on tape, and we use his testimony on, uh, on DVDs uh, in our programs. So the, the idea behind this is uh, uh, working with, with, uh, with, with, uh, with the grandfather and Tony brings meaning to my life and my family. The Tariq did not die in vain. Then less kids are ending up in prison, less kids are dying. But our second part of the, of the, of the, of the equation in, restor- in restorative justice is to bring the offender back into society as a functioning and contributing member. That's happened with Tony, and it's happened with these four employees or at the foundation that they are now productive members of society. And number three, you have to heal the community by us being out there in schools in front of kids working together. We are healing the community. So every, in every crime, this, this possibility exists, the possibility of bettering society. And it comes through this process of making the victim whole, returning the offender to the community as a functioning, contributing member, and as a result of the work you're doing, you're also healing the community. Yes, it's so beautiful. So, so tell me, while Tony is in, in prison, is he able to somehow mentor to other criminals so that if they do get out, they don't do the same thing? Does is, is, is he have any opportunity to do that? There's very few opportunities inside of prison. Even for him to study has become very difficult. 
But what he is doing is he is writing to us. And we had two and a half hours of him on, uh, with an interviewer where we interviewed him when he was 26 years old. And we use his letters and we lose his interviews in our programs. And he's directly now showing in, in his testimony that he's no longer that gangbanger he was when he was 14 years old. In fact, when you listen to him when he was 26 years old, he comes across as a monk. He's a wonderful writer. He reads five books a month. Mm. He's now uh, writing poetry. And we view some of his poetry in our programs that you've seen a transformation in this young man. That's why I can't wait to get him out and have him join us, yes. because I know we've saved him, but think about the power of him on stage with his grandfather and me. Yes. And I know that when he's on stage, and he tells the kids, when I was 11, I joined a gang. When I was 14, I killed Mr. Kanisa's son. I've yes. been in the prison for umpteen years. I'm, t- I'm here to tell you it's not worth it. Yes. And the kids will listen to that voice because yes. his voice will have the intonation of a person who actually pulled the trigger. Yes, yes. It's, it's heart-wrenching and it's so transformative. I just wonder, like, with all the recidivism in the, in the prisons, I saw something recently, a documentary on TV about what was going on in the prisons and the recidivism and that there really isn't much rehabilitation. I'm just wondering since if they have, you know, I don't know if they have televisions. A lot of these prisons, they don't have people, they can't watch television. I just wondered if they had something that they could like pipe in, um, you know, videos to see the video of, of Tony and the other people telling these stories so that these young people who are in their thirties that are serving, that are going to be out soon, that they would have a chance to see this and transform their lives. I just, I just wondered out loud. <laughs> yes, I mean, I speak at a lot of juvenile prisons. I also speak at Leavenworth, which is the largest prison uh, in, in, in the U.S., and the, the toughest of all criminals are there. There's a program called Life Connections Program, which is uh, run by Kendall Hughes. In fact, I'm speaking there again in August. Uh, and I go there every year, and I've been doing this for about seven years. Uh, but overall, there isn't enough being done in prisons. Uh, um, in, the, in the county jails, they are using our programs in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very, very political. I've tried to get my programs in the state through California system, but it's highly political. Mm-hmm. And it's not that the programs don't exist. They do. It's not that we cannot transform the offenders. We've, you know, the program I started with the offenders is a different program than the foundation. It's in its 11th year already in seven cities. The problem is to get it in the prison system because all the gatekeepers don't want that to happen because they have their own cronies that are doing it or undermining us. So prisons are not healing places. They should be healing places. Yes, yes. In fact, the prisons are, you know, the, 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 the kids that go into the prison eventually end up in adult prison and they come out as better criminals than they went in. Right, because they learn from their buddies. Exactly. So the, yes. that's a whole new area, and, 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 and the problem with it is politics. And, you know, the, the sad thing is that I've seen these documentaries, even about Orange County, where I live, where, you know, they have to keep all these different races separate because the gangs would kill each other right there. Exactly. And so, you know, for them to, to see these things now, 
for the for the prisons to get this in from these videos is it very expensive or is that why is that part of the politics? No, it's not about the money. It costs two hundred thousand dollars to incarcerate one youth for yes. one year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, how much does a DVD cost? And in right. fact, one of the, the prisons here, we've given them uh, the the DVDs for free. Yeah. And uh, happy to do that. If there's anybody listening to this uh, program, well, you know what? Uh, that uh, in... want a free. Uh, uh, we have an entire. Uh, we have six DVDs on six key messages called Ending the Cycle of Violence, comes along with a workbook. And these are great lessons for people to learn. And, and if a prison needs it, I'm quite happy to donate that. Well, let me tell you that we shouldn't talk about it too much now. We could talk about it offline, but I'm an Orange County Sheriff Reserve. And so I would be happy to bring this to the powers that be and just show it to them if you want to send it to me. I will definitely take that action because I do Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips, and I know, you know, I've been dealing with all of the our sheriff, uh, Sheriff Hutchins, and everyone else, and I'd be happy to do that. And I have friends that are assistant sheriffs in Los Angeles as well, so I would be happy. It would be an honor for me to share that if you would send that to me. I would be very happy to do that. Absolutely. Let's you know. Let's email offline, and yes. I'll, be, I'll set that up for you. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about when we're talking about forgiveness, you were, you know, you were saying that's so important because there's so many people that don't want to forgive because they think they're condoning. And you, you just said outright, forgiveness is not condoning. And forgiveness is you give it up so that you can be free, so that you can move on. So when we're talking about forgiveness, how does forgiveness lead to peace? But the, I think the steps are very important. The first and foremost step is when you forgive, first of all, you have to go through the grieving process. You have to acknowledge the wrong that was done to you. Yes. And grieving in itself is a medicine. And the interesting thing about grieving is that you, you grieve with the same faculty you feel joy with. There's a beautiful poem in, in Khalil Gibran's uh, work called The Prophet, which I'm sure you've, you've read. It's yes. Been, translated in most every language in the world. And he talks about this potter that's making this beautiful masterpiece out of clay, loves his masterpiece so much that he actually wets the clay with his tears. Mm -hmm. But then he's going to take the finished masterpiece and put it in a 2,400-degree Fahrenheit oven for 18 hours so the clay can become porcelain and radiate its beauty. Mm -hmm. I so that. I know what it feels like to be in that 2,400-degree Fahrenheit oven. Yes. So we need to understand that pain is unavoidable. Suffering is, but pain is unavoidable, that sometimes universe molds us through that pain. And that, so the first piece when you have been harmed is to go through that grieving process, understanding that the same faculty that you are feeling pain with will at some point you will feel joy with, that you understand that so just like the porcelain becomes, uh, just like the clay becomes porcelain and radiate its beauty, so you'll be able to do that too. Number two, you have to give up all the resulting resentment, and you do that through creating a very high level of empathy. And, uh, and, uh, and you do it through intention. I was able to see victims at both ends of the gun. It's easy to see my son is a victim, it's a little bit, it takes a lot of empathy 
to see that Tony is also a victim, but he's a victim of society. As Albert Schweitzer says, it's not important what you look at. It's important what you see. Yes. So I was able to see Tony as a victim, too, and that requires a very high level of empathy. So when you have that empathy and you set the intention, number three is you reach out to the offender. Not all of us have to reach out to the person who murdered our child. Sometimes it's father-daughter, mother-son, ex-husbands, ex-wives. I do this work in corporations, a lot of problems with the peers. You reach out with love and compassion. So when you put those three things together, that through the grieving process you're able to radiate your beauty by giving up resentment, you deepen your empathy, and by reaching out to the offender, you deepen your love, and all of those leads to peace. Yes. And, you know, I recently interviewed a woman, and I don't know if you know who she is. Her name is Ruth Treason, and she wrote the book The Long Walk. And as a child, she was uh, in Auschwitz, and her parents were killed. Her little sister was torn away from her and killed. And she, in her 80s, wrote this book, and she obviously has forgiven. And when I asked her about how she could do that, she said, if I didn't forgive those people who did it to me, I would be just as they are. If I were seeking revenge, I would be as bad as they are. Right, and, exactly. And that's how she was able to, you know, come to this country and to, you know, have a family. And what's interesting to me is this woman never told her children about what she went through until she was in her, ra- her 80s and wrote this book, The Long Walk. Wow. It's yes. just amazing. So, you know, when you talk about forgiveness, sometimes it's, it's so painful that it's even hard to tell the story. And if you don't tell the story, you can't change the story and change the perception. So it took her, you know, it took her a long time to do that, but she was able to do it. And it's, um, it is, it is the, the, as you were saying, forgiveness is what really sets you free. Absolutely. It's that, uh, there is a good quote that said, uh, forgiveness is like setting a prisoner free but to find out that the prisoner was really you. Oh, I love that. So the, the, it's a selfish act. I tell him it's a healthy, selfish act, but it's something you do for yourself. The fact that it can have an amazing impact on the offender is really icing on the cake. Yes. But I think the important thing is you, you, you need to clearly understand that a lot of life, you know, trust me, a lot of life is about forgiveness. We all have to learn this lesson, and it started with Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Now, nailing him to the cross, he says, forgive them, Father, they do not know what they are doing. And that's an amazing, that's, that's the basis of Christianity. Yes. And, and I think that this is very important to say that in many ways, if people can really get that uh, through forgiveness, they can get to fulfillment and peace, as I write about, that we can actually alter the face of the earth. I mean... Even calamities like 9-11 would have had a totally different result if we had chosen to go through a forgiveness process or an atonement process, because nothing happens in a vacuum. Yes. And part of, you know, Osama bin Laden was one of our allies when we were fighting Russians. Yes. So nothing happens in a vacuum. That If we could have said, how could we create so much rage in people to do an atrocity like 9-11, 
what responsibility do we have? Yes. And every country in the world lost people. I have a list of 55 countries that lost people at the World Trade Center. Yes, yes. This was a unifying opportunity for us to say, you know, you are not the enemy. Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran are not the enemy. The enemy is terrorism, and we are all suffering at the, at the heads of terrorism. Even in our country, we have terrorists. Yes. Come, we should have come together and say, you know, let's come together. Let's get, get along as a world, and let's collectively fight terrorism, whether it's in America or Iraq or Iran and Afghanistan. It would have created a very different result. And we need to really focus on the peace, and we are out of time. So I want to thank you so much, Azim. You're, you're so wonderful. We will have you back again, and we're going to wait for your next book and all the great things you're doing. And we appreciate your time, and you just take care, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Mari. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. for prescriptions for healing conflict and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith. It's about trust. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.